Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm going to share an interview with Steve Gobel. Steve writes historical mysteries. He's the author of the Spider John Mysteries, which combine his love of swords, pirates, and murder to follow a pirate detective on water and land. So we're going to talk about his latest book, Pieces of Eight. It's the latest installment in the Spider John Mysteries. And it's a little bit of a longer interview. Aside from talking about the book, we also talk about his agent search, as well as his writing process. So I'm going to keep this intro short and let you listen to Steve and me talk about Pieces of Eight and writing. Okay, Steve, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, Allison. Your novel, your latest novel, Pieces of Eight, released March 16th. First of all, congratulations on this book. Is it number what? How many books have you published so far? Uh, This is number four in, in this series. And, uh, I'm just really excited that it's gone this far, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad to get these out in, in front of people. Yeah, that's great. Can you tell us about the Spider John series as a whole, and this novel in particular? Uh, sure. Uh, this, the series itself uh, sort of combines two longtime loves of mine. Um, I've always been fascinated by uh, mystery fiction, uh, starting with Sherlock Holmes and going through Nero Wolfe and Ellery Queen and Agatha Christie and, and, and everything else. Yeah. Um, but I've also been drawn to uh, nautical adventure. Uh, Treasure Island is probably my favorite book ever. I mm. think I've, I've read it seven or eight times. Um, and so uh, at some point, and I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I've always been an avid reader. And I, I, I think anyone who loves books kind of wants to maybe find a way to insert themselves into that world. And right. I don't remember the precise moment, but at, at some point it, it came to me that I could combine these two loves and write a, a, a series of books about an amateur detective who happens to be a pirate, or at least uh, is caught up in the pirate world. He's actually trying very hard to get away from it uh, mm. when, we, when we beat him in the first book. But uh, uh, yeah, so I sort of took elements of both and, and mixed it all into my own kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's really enjoyable when I find readers out there who, who connect with it. You know, I, I have two kinds of readers or, or two kinds of people. When I tell them what I write, they are the, the ones who look at me like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> and then there are the others whose eyebrows go up and their heads nod a little bit. And they're like, Oh my gosh, why has no one ever done this? So uh, when I connect with those people, you know, it, it's, it's such a great feeling and uh, I, I just really enjoy it. I'm glad that a lot of people have come along for the ride. Right. It's gotten, fa- the series has had fantastic reviews. Um, so tell me about this, what this particular pieces of eight, what happens in this book? I mean, don't tell, don't give any oh, spoilers, yeah, but just. Yeah, <laughs> no, no worries. I, I, firmly believe in no spoilers. Uh, right. I, I, I love the whole uh, aspect of murder mysteries where you're trying to solve it. And I write yeah. my books so that readers are going to get the clues at the same time my protagonist does. But uh, the thing that uh, is different in pieces of eight um, 
and and I try very hard not to write the same book over. I think each of the four books has its own uh, feel and 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 setting and, and different changes, even though several of the characters uh, continue throughout the series. Um, but in this one, uh, readers who've who've read the previous books know that Spider John, my protagonist, has been trying to get back to Nantucket, mm-hmm. where he left a wife and child. Uh, about eight or nine years ago. Oh, wow. And, and then he got caught up in the pirate life uh, through no fault of his own. And he's been trying ever since to get back to them. Uh, and in this book, he finally does reach Nantucket, where he last saw them. And uh, so, um, of course, things don't go the way he expects them to go. And the, the problems of his piratical past follow him there. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to say much more than that. But right, right. I think readers who have been following along um, will be, uh, I, I hope they'll be happy with this one. And, and you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited that it's getting out there now. Yeah, it sounds like a great premise, too. Um and definitely, if, if you've been reading the series, I think you'd be really interested to find out what happens when he finally gets back to Nantucket. Is this series, because I, I don't know, I couldn't find in the information, is it intended for adults or for younger readers? What's the um, age range? Well, it, it is intended for adults, although I, okay. I've been uh, a long, uh, I've long held the opinion that if somebody's curious enough to read a book, they should be allowed to read the book right. uh, at, at whatever age. Uh, our own child uh, has had full run of our library. My, my wife and I are both avid readers, so there, yeah. there are thousands of books around the house, and we've never <laughs> told our kid, you can't read that. Um, mm-hmm. But but my books, they, they, there is violence and uh, very coarse language. I am right. writing about pirates. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, any... Grandmothers it's out there. Right? It, I, well, yeah, there's, I, I kind of I, I strike a balance between realism and pirate mythology, and, and we can talk about that maybe in a bit. But oh, yeah. any any grandmothers out there or or moms who are thinking, "Wow, my twelve year old loves Treasure Island. Maybe he'd like this too." My books are a little bit more uh, gritty, shall we say, than right. that. And uh, one reviewer described uh, Spider John's cursing as occasionally reaching the level level of high art. Oh, <laughs> so um, there there may be words that you might not want younger readers to to encounter. Right. Okay. So why Nantucket? How did you become interested in that area, and why did you set the book there? Uh, well, this book was set in Nantucket partly uh, because of the the fictional history I gave. Uh, Spider John to begin with. Um, Nantucket, of course, has a rich whaling history. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, uh, in his background that I wrote, he was on one of the very first, very early whaling ships to depart from Nantucket. The first book is set in 1722. And so in Nantucket's not yet the, the, the central whaling uh behemoth that it would become, but it was heading in that direction. And so I had Spider as uh, someone who was a ship carpenter's mate aboard a whaling ship that was attacked by pirates. And because he had carpentry skills, um, 
he was given a choice of joining the pirates instead of being, you know, set adrift uh, like all the other people. You know, pirates, uh, they don't always have a chance to just pull into port and make repairs to their ships the way uh, a merchant vessel might. So if they can find somebody with skills that can help them remain at sea and do what they do, um, they'll try to bring that person aboard. So Spider, being a, a young man at the time and with much life to look forward to, thought, okay, sure, I'll, I'll join up, I'll fix your ships, and I'll try to uh, get away when I can. And then eight years later, the, the first book is uh, uh, takes place, and he's still just beginning to find a way out of that life. You know, once you get into any kind of organized crime, which I sort of see piracy as organized crime, um, it's not so easy to get away. Right. So do you want to talk now about realism versus pirate mythology in your book? Well, sure. Or? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, when readers, you know, look at my books and, and see the covers, um, it's obvious that these books feature pirates. And I think everybody has an idea or an expectation of what piracy is. Um, you know, you, you, if you pick that book up, you're looking for sword play. You're looking for um, a lot of action and, and, and nautical background and things like that. Um, but if, you, if you've seen the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and things like that, most of the public uh, portrayal of pirates has been a little over the top. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll see people taking massive wounds and getting right back up and fighting again. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of legendary about uh, Blackbeard. It's it said that when he was finally run down and uh, killed, um, that his headless corpse swam around the ship three times. <laughs> you know, obviously, these these are things that can't happen in a real world. Um, and I'm writing murder mysteries, so I, I want very much to avoid uh, the supernatural. You know, I'm never going to say, yes, a ghost did it mm. or, or magic is not a thing in my books. But okay. it was a superstitious age. And my characters are perfectly free to believe in ghosts if they want to. Um, Spider himself uh, has a grandmother who was accused of witchcraft. So, you know, there are a lot of those kind of elements in the story. But right. but it is a murder mystery, and so magic's never going to be the reason somebody got killed or, or the method used. Um, none of my victims are going to die because of a curse or a spell. Um, but um, I think the readers expect a certain amount of that kind of thing in the book. So what I've done is um, everything is told from Spider's uh, perspective, but the cast of characters around him uh, give me a chance to kind of play with that pirate mythology a little bit. Uh, for instance, one of Spider's uh, best friends, uh, in wh whom he meets in the first book, but by the time of the fourth book, they're they're fast uh, bonded buddies, um, is a, a crusty one-eyed pirate named Odin, who mm. almost never tells the truth. Uh, sometimes he claims to be from Scotland. Sometimes he claims to be from Ireland. Sometimes he claims to be Welsh. Uh, nobody knows his real name. And he goes around saying things like he claims he watched Blackbeard swim around the ship three times. Um, and 
you know, Spider doesn't believe him, but uh, Spider's uh, impressionable young friend, Hob, uh, who is sort of the Jim Hawkins of my series, Jim Hawkins being the, the young lad in Treasure Island, mm-hmm. Hob has these pirate dreams of glory, and he wants to be a hero on the high seas and find the treasure and win the beautiful woman and all these things. So he kind of looks up to Odin in a way because Odin tells all these stories about vast treasures and massive battles and spider swats Hob on the head says, you know, he's, he's making it up. That didn't happen. Um, so there's a, sort of a tension between the mythology and the, the, the reality of pirate life that uh, is frankly kind of fun for me to write. Like my favorite scenes in the books are when those three characters are together and, and giving their different perspectives. Um, so I can get a little bit of that mythological flavor in the book and still keep everything within the realm of actual possibility. And I think it's, right. it's a delicate dance. Um, but so far I think I've pulled it off and, uh, and uh, it's really fun to write. I hope it's fun to read. Yeah. Well, if it's fun to write, it probably will be fun to read. Um, I just, I don't know. I think the best books are the ones that the authors enjoyed writing. I, yeah, um, I agree with that. I think anyone who is, uh, you're, you're always going to do your best work if you're writing something that you're very interested in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I like to read a good uh, horror novel every now and then, but I don't feel like I'm a good horror writer. Um, I, I couldn't be the next Stephen King or, or something like that, but I can be the first Steve Goebel. And, right. And, and I think the readers who do connect with my books can, you know, we, we have our own little club. We're all in on this thing together. And uh, it's very enjoyable. I think if I tried to fake my way through writing something that just didn't really interest me, yeah, I could technically put nice sentences together. And, you know, I know know, traditional structure, first act, second act, third act, and all that, but Mm -hmm. my heart wouldn't be in it. And I think if my heart's not in it, then readers aren't going to connect with it either. Um, Of course, you know, we're all individuals and we all have our, individual uh, likes and dislikes. And so the things that interest me, you know, I'm not going to appeal to all readers, but the people who do like it are going to really like it. And I think if, if a writer can make that kind of connection with an audience, well, then I think he's done or she's done the job properly. Absolutely. I agree. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your research process? Like, you're in Ohio and you're writing about Nantucket. <laughs> Did you travel there? Or, I mean, last year was a difficult year for travel. Um, yeah, we, 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 we haven't gone anywhere in a year. Oh. But New, New England is a, a regular vacation spot for us. Okay, so, we, we so love you've going been there. there. Uh, we love going uh, to New England and, 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 and all that. But I've also, uh, the, the settings for each book are different. One of the nice things about pirates is they got around. Right. So the, the the book before this one was set mostly in uh, Lymington, England, which has a bit of a history of smuggling, mm-hmm. and and smuggling plays a part of of, of the plot of that book. Um, and uh, the the first book was set almost entirely at sea aboard a ship. Um, it's sort of uh, like uh, the Agatha Christie. You know, you've got the Orient Express where everyone's on board, and you know somebody on this train did it. And you want to try to find the killer before the train gets where it's going and 
and all that. that one right. one uh, reviewer actually described my book that way, and I hadn't even thought of it in those terms. But oh wow, you know, so so you know, I, I try very hard not to write the same book over and over. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've been to to New England, but to research Nantucket uh, specifically, um, I leaned heavily on uh, an historian named Nathaniel Philbrick, who okay. wrote a wonderful book. Uh, it's called A Way Offshore, and it's the history of Nantucket Island. Uh, from the very earliest days on. Uh, And, uh, you know, he is a a real historian. I I always tell people, I'm a storyteller. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm I'm not, don't pick up my book and write your college paper uh, (laughs) for a history class based on what I said. I try to get it right. I try to keep things accurate. But I take advantage of a few things. For instance, pirates... um, didn't always tell the truth when they got caught. You had to take everything they testified about with a grain of salt. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, any criminal is going to try to downplay his role in what happened and perhaps, you know, uh, play up somebody else's role. So just because Joe pirate uh, tells the Admiralty at his trial that captain uh, teach did this or that, it doesn't mean it's true. It's just a claim. Um, so I, I, I tend to focus on my fictional characters and leave, uh, the real pirates, uh, people like Anne Bonny, the famous, uh, female pirate, uh, Edward Teach known as Blackbeard, uh, and people like that in the background of my story. And I, you know, I'll, I'll go with what is known, but, right. um, pirates didn't necessarily confess everything in writing or tell the truth when they got caught. Um, so, you know, I have to keep that in mind. Um, uh, I read accounts of, uh, their trials and, um, soak up the flavor of things and their attitudes. Um, I compare it to, uh, organized crime in the modern world and, 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 and things like that. For the nitty gritty of Nantucket itself, I went to a real historian. <laughs> and, uh, mm. if, if your readers are not familiar with Nathaniel Philbrick, um, I suggest that they, they check him out if they're interested in this, in this kind of stuff. His book about uh, Nantucket was very informative, and I leaned on it a lot. Uh, he wrote a previous book called In the Heart of the Sea, which uh, was it tells the real story of a, a ship called the Essex, which encountered a whale at sea and, and had quite the battle, and that was the inspiration for uh, Melville to write Moby Dick. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so Nathaniel Philbrick... Um, if you're stuck in Ohio like me and you can't gaze out over the ocean and, and see what's going on, um, this man's writing uh, brings it to you in, in a good way. So uh, wow. pass that one on. If, yeah, even if you don't check my books out, your readers ought to check him out. Right. I will link to that in the show notes for sure. <laughs> um, a, another source I lean on a lot is a, a book called The Pirate's Own Book. Uh, which purports to be authentic narratives of the most celebrated sea robbers. And it's produced by an outfit called the Marine Research Society. And what they have done is taken um, newspaper accounts and uh, early writings and things like that from pirate trials and assembled them all into one little uh, volume that uh, pirates uh, often tell their story in their own words. In other words, here's what, this fellow said at his trial, or here's what he claimed, etc. Um, and I find that pretty useful too. Yeah. Wow. So um, 
What do you hope readers will take away from this book, other than a great swashbuckling story? <laughs> well, uh, th- 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 honestly, first and foremost, that is what I hope to to do. I yeah, I am the kind of person. Like yeah, I am the kind of person who um, you know I was in journalism for a long time, and uh, like everyone else, you know, COVID nineteen and everything else, we all have our stresses. We all have our uh, right. daily grind and. What I hope more than anything else, to be honest, is to help somebody sit down at the end of a long day and get lost for a half hour, an hour or so in this world of pirates and mystery and trying to figure out who done it. Right. That, be- that being said, um, it- I don't see any reason that a book written primarily to entertain can't also provide a window into um, you know, reality and-, and what we all go through. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I, I worked very hard on is making Spider John somebody that the average person can relate to, despite the fact that he spent the last seven, eight years of his life um, doing the bloodthirsty work that pirates have to do. Uh, you know, he, he joined up to save his own life, but uh, like any other organized crime outfit, Pirates, there are two kinds of people on a pirate ship. There are the people who join in in the fighting and the robbery and the crimes and witnesses. Mm. And the second part, the the second type doesn't live long. So, you know, Spider found out right away he had to join in the crimes and he's done things he's he's not proud of, uh, as have we all. You know, his crimes may be worse than yours or mine, but. But, you know, we all have things in our past we'd like to change. Um, but he has redemptive qualities, too. You know, his, his love for Em and his desire to get back to her and their child, um, mm-hmm. his, his longing for home. I, and these are things that, you know, we, we've all had people we've loved and people we miss. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a, an important theme in the book. Um, I also think that pirates despite what you see in popular culture, the, in reality, they were people and they got into this bloody business for a wide variety of reasons. Some like my protagonist were forced into it. Others ran away from the British Navy where the, the pay was horrible. The food was horrible. The discipline was very harsh. The work was very hard. And sometimes they just said, you know what? I'm out of here. And they would run away, which automatically made them wanted fugitives. So mm-hmm. where are they going to go? Well, all right. These other guys, these pirates need the kind of skills I have. I can, I can tie off a line. I can help sail a ship. I can navigate. So I'll join these guys. And the next thing you know, they're, they're pirates. And of course, some of them were just very dark, bloody people who liked to kill people and take their stuff. It's just, you know, I'm not, right. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, but you know, the pirates were people. And I think, you know, the, the, the people back then, you know, technology changes, politics changes and, and, and all that. But people remain people throughout history. They have the same kind of biases and the same kind of desires and the same kind of fears. And I think maybe, you know, my books can help people realize that no matter what else changes in the world, people are still people. And maybe we should all try to calm down and get along. A little bit. 
Yeah. And that's, I think it's fascinating that you have approached this from that point of view and kind of shown, I don't know, both, both sides of it, I guess, or his conflicted, conflictedness over what he's doing versus what he wants. Oh yeah. He, he's, he is a conflicted person as, as many of us are. He, he, uh, he knows he's done yeah. horrible things, but he also knows that he did those things in an effort to continue living because he has things to live for. Um, he spider frequently finds himself praying and then immediately asking himself, you know, do I even have a right to do this, to pray mm. because of the things I've done? And, you know, he's, uh, he's an interesting, interesting character to write about. And, uh, I, I, I never wanted to write stereotypes. I don't want to write, uh, um, characters that are just, you know, wish fulfillment kind of figures. N- right. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, I read Simon Templar, um, or Leslie Charteris's uh, books about Simon Templar, the saint who's mm-hmm. always has the skills he needs to face <laughs> any situation always gets the girl, never screws up, you know, so I, I read that kind of stuff, but I don't want to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's an interesting dance in my mind. You know, I want to make spider every inch, the pirate and yet every inch, the guy who wishes he'd never had to do that. Um, it, it's, it keeps me invested in the books and I hope it keeps readers invested too. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds fascinating. Um, where were the first three books set? Sure. Uh, the first book is called The Bloody Black Flag, and that came out in 2017. And that one uh, started in uh, actually off the coast of the Massachusetts Bay Colony as Spider and a friend of his were uh, rowing out to a ship to join a company of pirates after mm-hmm. getting into a bit of trouble ashore. Um, and in that book, I, again, I don't want to do spoilers, but a murder takes right. place. And Spider wants to solve it before that ship arrives in Jamaica. Okay. Because because once it does, all the suspects are going to scatter, and and there'll be no chance of 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 avenging the the victim. Um, so that the first ship's almost entirely at sea. Uh, the second book is called The Devil's Wind, and that one takes place uh, on a merchant vessel uh, that sets sail from uh, Jamaica. And a, a murder takes place on that ship. That that one is a locked room murder mystery on a on a ship, believe it or not. Oh wow! And uh, um, that ship ends up becoming entangled in a, a a pirate plot, and and so then the back half of the book takes place on an island where the the people aboard the ship are trying to stay away from the pirates. Um, the third ship is almost entire. Or, I'm sorry, third book. Why did I say ship? <laughs> because we're talking about ships. <laughs> we're talking about ships and you're going to edit this out, I hope. <laughs> uh, the I don't know. Book, it depends on how interesting <laughs> it <is. laughs> you, you might decide it's entertaining. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm human too, folks. Uh, <laughs> right. the, yeah, the, the third book is A Bottle of Rum and it takes place um, entirely on land uh, where Spider is trying to track down a, a friend who is implicated in a murder in a tavern. And that book ends up in a sort of a precursor to uh, sanitariums 
um, <laughs> where he goes looking for his friend. Um, and the, the fourth book, of course, is uh, the new one, Pieces of Eight. And as we said, a lot of it takes place on Nantucket. But there is some uh, murder at sea before we get to Nantucket. Uh, so right. that one's about 50-50, I think. Okay. The place I've been where I've learned the most about pirates is um, Ocracoke, North, yes. yeah, North Carolina, right? Um, I forgot for a second whether it was South Carolina or North, but it's North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, we, we love the Outer Banks down there. So it's been a while since I've been. but I have not been to the Outer Banks, but it is on my list. Yeah. You mentioned that you worked as a journalist, but you currently you work as a digital forensics analyst. Is that right? Uh, yes. I, uh, I worked for a cybersecurity firm in Cleveland, and I was hired originally to help with uh, social media and corporate communications and things like that, you know, sort of take my writing skills and, and apply it to helping out the business. But along the way, um, they've asked me to help out in uh, our, our analytics department where um, ba basically what our company does, we look at uh, cell phones and computers and we can extract the data from them, including deleted stuff, and then analyze it uh, for evidence to try to solve anything from a you know, civil dispute uh, to a criminal case. Um, and it turns out that being a journalist made me pretty good at asking questions yeah. And, and figuring out, you know, well, maybe if we're trying to figure out if this person uh, communicated with this other person, we should be looking for these kind of keywords or this kind of evidence. Um, mm. So I started helping out in that uh, department. And I'm still, you know, very junior <laughs> when it comes to this kind of thing. I'm, I'm not a, a tech head by any means, but I've learned to use some of the software and, and some of the cases um, smarter people than I do do the technical side. Then I look at their reports and, and try to translate it into something our, our clients can understand, uh, sort of like uh, translating Star Trek uh, lingo uh, for somebody who's, who's never watched Star Trek. Um, right. But along the way, I also uh, will look at uh, some of the evidence and say, you know what? The, the client's asking this kind of question. Maybe if we looked for this, that might make the case or not make the case. So I still do the corporate communication side of things and, and, and that kind of stuff too. But I also get to do uh, these peeks into other people's uh, devices and phones. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not, but uh, that, <laughs> that's what I do. So, but in real life, you're solving mysteries at work and then you come home and you write mysteries yeah, I've always been. <laughs> yeah, I've I've always been a, a mystery lover for as long as I can remember, and, and I'm I'm also working on a series of uh, modern day detective stories. Oh. Um, that the first book in that series comes out in July. That's called City Problems uh, from okay. o Ocean View Publishing, uh, which is not historical fiction, so I, I don't want to take a lot of time on it. But a lot of the stuff that I learn on my day job is much more applicable to, to yeah. that series than, than, than to Spider-John. One of the interesting things about writing uh, the Spider-John stories is the lack of technology. I don't have cell phones and GPS, and I don't mm -hmm. have uh, any of that kind of stuff to help Spider out. And, and for that, uh, or, along with that, Spider himself is illiterate. He, he cannot read. He cannot write. Oh. So I've had occasions where he's 
you know, trying to decide if a suicide note is real or not. And he has no idea. He can't read it. <laughs> he, he has to find somebody to help him with that. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to take myself out of that modern uh, perspective where, you know, if you get into trouble, you pick up your phone and you call someone for help. Right. None of my characters can do that. Um, Spider himself is a criminal by dint of his past. So he can't even take the evidence he finds to the authorities and say, Hey, I just figured out this person's a killer. Why don't you go do something about it? Because he's afraid they're going to lock him up uh, if he goes to the law. So he kind of has to take things into his own hands. Um, it's, uh, it's a weird mindset to get into. Uh, it's a, a unusual set of circumstances that my uh, protagonist finds himself in. But I think that's part of what makes the series interesting. It, it certainly does for me. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so tell us about how you went from being a journalist. How did you get the first book contract? How did tell us about that path? Um, that was, uh, well, if you've followed along with what's going on with journalism in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a lot of contract contraction in the industry, yes. uh, especially uh, with the larger companies. I worked for Gannett. I've done all kinds of jobs at newspapers, everything from uh, school reporter, police reporter, on up to copy editor, on up to mm-hmm. uh, city desk editor. Eventually, I was a, 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 a what we called a producer, which meant I took the video and the photos and the stories from various journalists and combined them and presented them online on our websites and on our social media, et cetera. So I, I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, as things contracted um, and there were layoffs and downsizing and everything else, um, the writing was on the wall. I, I had been in the business for a long time, and people of my age were among those who were not making the cut when, mm. when, when the contractions came. So fortunately, though, um, the company I worked for uh, offered a buyout program where there was a a fairly generous um, compensation for people who said, you know what, I'm going to test the waters elsewhere. And that gave me the breathing room to finish a novel I had been working on in my uh, spare time for several years prior to that. Um, My wife, very supportive beautiful person, uh, Mm. Jerry, I love you. Um, I I couldn't do Uh any of this without Jerry. Um, She said, you know what? Take the buyout. You'll finish your novel if you do that. And she was Mm. right. And she was right. And I did. And by the time uh, the compensation ran out, I found this new job uh, at at the the cybersecurity company. But I had a book out there and I found an agent and uh, we found a, a publisher in 7th Street who was willing to to take a chance on it. And uh, that's how it got started. And I'm just really fortunate. Yeah, that's wonderful. And was the first in the series, was that your first novel? Um, I had written some short stories in uh, more of a a fantasy kind of vein. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had written a couple of fantasy novels that frankly were more playgrounds and training grounds for me than uh, anything polished that I'd like to, to get out there. Um, so I had written things, but yeah, this was the first uh, book of, of novel length that I thought, I think I can maybe get this published. 
So right. I was I was really happy to be able to do that. Um, it did take a, a while to find an agent. Um, I made a lot of rookie mistakes. Um, I just started submitting uh, queries to any publisher. I'm sorry, any agent who handled mysteries. Yeah. And what I found out was just because an agent says, I represent mysteries, doesn't mean they want historical mysteries with pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, it might mean they want the next Gone Girl. It might mean they're looking for something more, uh, you know, in the vein of uh, Philip Marlowe, uh, you know, the, the, you know, Sam Spade, that kind of traditional detective story. They right. might want police novels or whatever. So I spent a lot of time sending out queries to agents who didn't really represent the kind of thing I was writing where I finally put it together. I started looking deeper into what they were representing. And I I started looking for agents that uh, represented not just mysteries, but also historical novels and also um, action novels. Yeah. Once I started finding agents who had that wider range of things that they were looking for, I started getting manuscript requests. And and instead of form rejections, it was like, show me a few chapters. Right. Um, And, and once I made that connection, uh, things went fairly quickly. Um, So if there are readers out there who are are writing books and, and wondering how to get them published, put a lot more time into investigating agents than I did originally <laughs> and you'll save yourself a lot of uh, time emailing uh, queries to agents who just don't do that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> I'm still in the middle of that search. So, but I do, I'm very picky about where I send my queries still. Well, yeah, you want, you, you want to, to be picky. You don't want to just broadcast spawn, you know, and, and send everything out into the river and, and hope it gets fertilized. You, you, you want to send it to somebody who's going uh, to, to get you out there and, and sell your book. So, right. And also I think it, it takes so much time even just to, um, to craft a query with a particular agent in mind. So I think, why am I going to waste my time querying every agent out there? I mean, it takes, an hour or more <laughs> to write an, a specific, it depends on what the agent is asking oh, yeah. for, but and, sometimes and the, the information they want is different than, than the next agent. So oh, very much so, very much so it, they, they all have their unique requirements. You right. know, there are some who say, send me seven pages, no more, no less. Yes. Uh, some who want the entire first chapter. Um, right. Others, others who don't want you to send anything, uh, at, right. With your first query. Um, my advice on that is whatever agent you're, you're sending your stuff to do exactly what mm-hmm. they ask you to do, no matter how silly you think it is. Right. Don't send them eight pages if they want seven, just because you think your best sentence is on page eight. They're looking for ways to skim through the submissions yeah, and, and you're a definite no if you do something you, different. Yeah, you you just you don't want to be the person who who they pick it up and say, I ah, can't follow rules, I don't want to work with them, and they throw right. it away. Just do what they say. Trust me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um now you have you mentioned that you finished your first novel when you didn't have a job, but now you have a job. So how do you make time for writing now? Um well I, I 
first of all, I define writing in, in beyond just sitting at the keyboard. Mm-hmm. I consider myself to be writing if I am just spending time thinking about my characters and my plots. Um, right. I, I mentioned I live in the, in the country in Ohio, and we have about an acre of land. And uh, through much of the year, that requires mowing. So I'm outside on a tractor for a couple hours at a time, and there's no phone calls, nobody uh, talking to me or asking me questions, and that gives me a lot of time to think. And so what I do, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people consider mowing work. I consider it writing time. Yeah. Um, I I, I go out and I think about the upcoming chapter and, and what I need to do, and a lot of times by the time I put the tractor back in the shed, I have a very clear idea of what I want to do when I sit down at the keyboard again. And that makes the the time in front of the computer screen very productive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not the kind of writer who can uh, say, all right, it's five o'clock time for me to write. I, I, I don't do that. I sit down to write when I know what I'm going to do. Okay. So um, I'll spend that time uh, on the tractor doing that. I also commute to work. I live in the country, but I work in Cleveland. So I have plenty of road time to think about the book as well. Um, right. You know, uh, the other thing that I do is I don't beat myself up if I don't get a lot of words down on a particular writing session. You know, some people, and, and you know, your mileage may vary. Everyone has their own, their methods mm-hmm. that, that they do. Um, some people just, you know, feel like I need to get 2000 words every time I sit down or 1000 words or, or whatever. Right. If, if I don't write more than 500, I don't beat myself up over that. I consider that progress. Yeah. Um, and I also don't beat myself up if I write a thousand or 2000 and yet walk away feeling like, boy, that needs more work because it does. You know? Mm-hmm. You, you, you write it first and then you edit it and, and fix it. Um, but th- that's just, that's just how I do it. Um, I occasionally will have a night where I will sit down to write and I'll go four or five, 6,000 words uh, in a wow. big fell swoop. But I can only do that because I've spent so much time thinking about it right. prior to that. Um, the other thing I do is I start every writing session with, reading whatever I wrote the previous time. So, Mm. you know, if I wrote chapter five last night, before I write chapter six, I will read chapter five again. And it helps me pick up the the pace and the language and the tone. Uh, It also gives me a chance to edit chapter five as I go. Um, and, And so by doing that process that way, by the time I'm done with my first draft, it's usually in pretty good shape because I've been editing the whole mm. time as I go through. Um, but w- when I actually write, it's a pretty headlong experience. <laughs> this happens and then this, and then he says this, and then she says that, and then they run away or whatever. Um, I don't pause for descriptions. I don't uh, agonize over every single word. I just kind of get the story down. Then when I come back, the next time and, and read that, that's where I massage it and describe people and, 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 and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I end up with a, with a first draft that I'm usually pretty happy with by the time that's done. I know other writers 
um, tend to rewrite the entire first draft yeah, uh, and, and almost use the first draft as notes. And I don't know how they do that. That would drive me buggy. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's process. I, well, there are just so many different processes that people use. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, so are you writing the next installment of this series? Uh, actually, I'm, right now I'm finishing up this second novel in my detective series, okay, uh, which is due in May. So I need to get cracking on that some more this weekend, but I'm pretty close to that. Um, nice. It, yeah. And when, once that's finished, uh, I, I'll have April to uh, hand it off to my first readers. I mentioned my wife, Jerry, uh, my friend, Tom Williams is my other first reader. Um, and this is another vital tip for anyone out there writing books, find people who care about you and know what they're talking about. Uh, both mm-hmm. Jerry and Tom are writers themselves. They're avid readers and they care about me. So when I give them something and they think, boy, that doesn't quite work, Steve, or I'm not sure I believe what happened in chapter seven. It doesn't make sense to me. It gives me a chance to fix it before I send it to my agent, my publisher. Um, Right. your, Your friends and family, sure, let them read your stuff if you want. But they're most likely going to say, wow this is amazing. I can't believe you wrote this, but they're not necessarily going to have the knowledge uh, to tell you how to make it better. So find yourself readers who can do that. Um, So anyway, I'll I'll finish uh, this next uh, detective book um, probably within a week or so, hand it off to my uh, wife and my friend, and I'll stay away from the keyboard for at least a couple of weeks um, Mm -hmm. and sort of like, distance myself from it a little bit right then when i get their notes i will either uh believe what they say and take it into account or decide they're wrong and and, and do it my way um because you know in the end it's it's your book it's your product you got to stand by it you know whatever happens um but i'll I'll incorporate their advice Uh, i'll send my agent a copy of it too um evan marshall is my agent he's very good at uh editorial advice um mm-hmm. and and telling me you know i think this is pretty good but maybe the ending's a little pat or you, yeah you kind of you're, you're padding here or whatever um then i'll i'll take their advice whip it all into shape and send it off and then i suppose i will probably start work on the fifth spider john book okay um, but i've got a third book in the detective series uh, under contract already too. So, okay. You know, but there we'll is more spider John coming too. There's That's... certainly more spider John okay. in my head. Um, mm. I don't have a, I don't currently don't have, have a contract. contract for further books, but, uh, you know, we're that, that's still, you know, being talked about and, and possibly what happens with the fourth book may have a, an impact on that. So right. everybody go out and buy the fourth book. If you want yes. more spider John, that's, <laughs> Uh, the easiest way to make sure I keep writing those is for people to keep buying them. Right. Yeah, they sound fantastic. I also wanted to mention, um, I love what you said about your wife, because I just think, I mean, my husband's so supportive, too. And mm-hmm. I think that's so important. It can be really difficult to live the writing life if you don't have the people closest to you in your life are not supportive, you know. Yeah, you need you need people who understand what's going on. You know, so much of writing takes place in your head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are times when, uh, you know, we're we're in the living room, uh, 
ostensibly watching TV, and yet my mind is running over chapter nine or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, or if we're driving somewhere, um, you know, Jerry actually talks out plot points with me. Uh, it, it's kind of sad in a way because it spoils the mystery for her sometimes. Um, <laughs> sometimes she knows what's going to happen before she gets to read the book, but she's uh, a, a great resource for me in terms of just, does this make sense to you, Jerry? Or here's what I'm thinking. What If you found this clue, what would you deduce from it? Uh, you know, she reads mysteries uh, and, and, and everything too. So yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have her. She also understands that, you know, sometimes writing um, doesn't go well. And you look at what you wrote the night before and you think, this is utter trash. Why did I do this? I right. went to college and yet I come out and write this crap. <laughs> um, so she knows that sometimes I'm going to be in a bit of a mood and she knows when to, to try to, you know, bring me down. She knows when to stay out of my way. Um, and so, yeah, find yourself somebody like that if you can. It, right. Okay. So this is a question I ask all my guests, but you kind of touched on it when you were talking about what you want people to get out of your book. So, um, if you have more to say about it, great. If not, that's, that's okay too. Okay. How, how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? I think if you read history, you'll realize quickly that people are people and we create our own problems. We always have, (laughs) but sometimes we solve our own problems too. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the, the, the solutions don't generally come necessarily out of anything other than our shared humanity. You know, we, we get ourselves past our own foibles and our own uh, hiccups and problems, uh, or we don't, <laughs> you know, it doesn't always work out well, but right. I, I think people have always been people and regardless of what society or culture or age they, they're born into. Mm-hmm. And I think realizing that I think is important. I, I think we can't look for, solutions outside ourselves you know we can't wait for science to solve the climate problems we can't wait for Mm -hmm. politicians to um, solve our problems with violence and or or hate crimes or whatever we we have to do that and i think reading history i think in a way reinforces that idea at least i hope it does it it makes me feel that way anyway Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. Uh, so what's the best way for readers to purchase your book and to follow you online? Um, well, my books are available at uh, all the, the, the bookstores, you know, um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million. Um, Great. I, I don't want to list everybody because I, I always leave people out. But right. if you can buy books at this place, you can buy mine. So um, if you have a local bookstore uh, that you uh, like to go to, and those folks, especially with COVID and everything else, have been hard up against it. So mm-hmm. my favorite thing for you to do would be to go to your local bookstore. And if they don't have it, ask them. Believe me, they want to hook you up with books. They will get it for you if they possibly can. Right. Um, uh, ask your library to, to stock it, too. Yes. Uh, librarians love when people come and say, I'm looking for this book. They love finding that book for you. So, so do that. 
Um, I'm online at stevegobel.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-G-O-B-L-E.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Steve Gobel Fiction. And I'm on Facebook, Steve Gobel, comma, author. Um, that's where I am socially. I love to talk to people, uh, not just about my books, but, you know, their reading recommendations and stuff, too. I'm a big Wilkie Collins fan. Come and check me out and tell me which Wilkie Collins books you've read. Uh, we'll talk about that, too. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Steve. Allison, I've had a really good time here. I enjoy it. And uh, I always appreciate people like you who are out there trying to spread the word and connect people with books. We, we need more people like that. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I also hope that Steve doesn't get angry with me for leaving in his little slip of the tongue um, about saying ship instead of book. But I just think that people can be so much more relatable if we show our humanity and our, our mistakes. So if it didn't take so much time, I would have already um, shown you some of my mistakes and, and foibles here when I'm recording and just put them all together as a special episode um, because I do it too all the time. So, I mean, I know you, you notice that I say, um, and so all the time, they're filler words, but I've said some pretty silly things also. Anyway, if you're enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, I would love it if you would leave a review. Just go to Apple Podcasts and scroll all the way down the page with my podcast on it. And there you will find the spot to leave a star rating and review. Um, also subscribe, make sure you're subscribed and check out the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. See, I'll leave that in. I almost forgot how to spell my own name for a second. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to also invite you to join our Facebook group on Facebook. Obviously, where else would it be? And that is um, Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group. So just for, search for that or go to the show notes and I'll link to it there. I'd like to leave you with a quote from Blackbeard himself, or so I'm told by the internet. It is a blessing for a man to have a hand in determining his own fate. So that's all for today, guys. Keep reading historical fiction and I'll talk to you again next week. 